Hello, Suzanne. Good morning. Welcome. Good morning, Valerie, or good afternoon, depending on when people are listening. It's, it's morning here, so um, I'm just getting up, have my cup of coffee. Uh, I see you're all bundled up, ready for the winter. I'm bundled up. So what people might not know is that we are we are not only bi-coastal, we're kind of worldwide here at the cusp. We have people working from numerous countries and uh, states, and I am in Connecticut, in autumnal Connecticut right now, where I'm all bundled up and warm and watching leaves fall and geese fly. Ooh. And you, Valerie, are not. I'm not. I'm in California where the smoke is finally starting to clear. Uh, still, the air quality can be a little dodgy, depends on the day. But for the most part, we're, we're sorting it all out, you know, so it's good. Welcome as well to our listeners to Menopause Matters. This is episode four. I can't believe we've done four episodes now, Suzanne. That's been a little I'm, fun I'm too. Shocked. I'm shocked. I'm shocked. Four. Yeah. And there's it's, still more to talk about. There is so much more to talk about when it comes to menopause. And we're excited to talk about it. As you know, this is our weekly podcast. Um, it's Menopause Matters from the Cusp. And this is where we just openly talk about menopause because it's something that a lot of people don't like to talk openly about. So we're here to bust myths, tackle the taboos, make sure that everybody has good information and hears from experts across the spectrum. Yeah, and we also just want to normalize this kind of conversation. This shouldn't, uh, our goal is that talking about menopause in public will not be odd or awkward by the time we're done with this podcast years from now. That's right. Okay, well, this week on Menopause Matters, we are going to cover the topic of naturopathic medicine and non hormonal approaches to menopause. I'm pretty excited about this. Um, Suzanne and I had a really long planning session for this episode, and we agreed that this is a pretty big topic um, and one that can't simply be covered in an hour. So what we're going to focus on today is one batch of symptoms as it relates to menopause and some of the intense implications of the quality of our life that these symptoms have. They seem to affect a lot of our members here at the cusp. Um, we get a lot of women asking, am I crazy or dot, 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 so today, when we tackle off naturopathic medicine, we're going to talk specifically about mood swings, irritability, and depression. Um, and anxiety. Don't oh, yeah. Anxiety. I really wanted to talk about this because I, well, first of all, I'm a massive fan of Michelle Obama's podcast. I don't know if you've heard that. Who isn't? Who isn't? Amazing podcast. And I think on her second episode, she actually talked about how right now she's got some low-grade depression, giving everything that's going on in the world. And that really spoke to me, low-grade depression, because I, I sort of feel that. I feel this like general funk. Same here. I don't know. It, I mean, obviously, it's what's going on in the world. But, um, you know, this time of year tends to bring it around too, I think. Sometimes the end of the summer and the days are getting shorter. Um, but for me, you know, just hearing that so many other women are feeling similarly was oddly comforting to me. You know, I wish that I'd had that kind of support when I was experiencing a bout of depression during perimenopause. I, I didn't even realize that it was depression at the time, <laughs> um, but now I know better. But yeah, having some other people in that same place would have helped. Uh, just to give you a, a plug here, you actually wrote an article about this. Um, you yeah. wrote an article on this very topic. It's available on thecusp.com. If you go to the articles section, thecusp.com, check out the articles tab. I encourage you all to read her great article on depression. It's very compelling. Suzanne, I'm really grateful for your willingness to share your story. I think it's an important story to share. And you were so open and raw on a topic, again, that you know, a lot of people don't feel comfortable talking about. So I'm really grateful for you for doing that. And also this article is going to be featured in our upcoming newsletter, which is going out soon. So I would suggest go to thecusp.com, check out Suzanne's article. And if you haven't signed up for our newsletter yet, please do. You'll see some great articles there. Um, but Suzanne, we're not here to interview you this week. We did that last week when we talked about the five myths of menopause. We are here because we have a very esteemed expert in naturopathic medicine as our guest, and we're really excited to have her here. It's, it's uh, uh, 
super fun. I'm excited. Suzanne, do you want to tell us all about Dr. Tori Hudson? I do. I do. We're so glad to have Dr. Tori Hudson here. Um, she's a natu naturopathic physician. Currently, she's the program director for the Institute of Women's Health and Integrative Medicine. She also sits on the medical advisory board for the CUSP, where she co-created our proprietary guidelines for natural and medical menopause treatment. And she's an active advisor to the, clin to the clinical team here. Um, she was also the first woman in the United States to become a full professor of naturopathic medicine. So kiss that glass ceiling goodbye. Um, welcome, welcome Dr. Tori, and thank you for joining us today. Yes, welcome. Thank you, happy to be here. Happy to know that fall is happening in, in, uh, in Connecticut and trees are, the, 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 the cycle of nature is continuing on. Dr. Tori, thank you so much again for being here. We're really excited to have you. And this subject is something that a lot of women uh, at the cusp and a lot of our is listeners really uh, ask questions about, like cover off on naturopathic, like what are some non-hormonal approaches to menopause? So can you give us some key definitions in terms? You're a naturopathic doctor. What exactly does that mean? And how does that relate to integrative medicine and the practice of treating menopause? Well, the, there are some, you know, six key principles of naturopathic medicine. I don't have to go through all of those, but um, but one of our most, uh, you might say, sacred and precious and unique principles is something called the healing power of nature, what we call these medicatrix naturae. And that's the concept that the body inherently has the ability to establish and maintain and restore health. And so my role as a physician is to facilitate and augment uh, that process and with and remove obstacles to that process and by using by and large uh, you know natural non-toxic therapies and uh, including lifestyle medicine herbal medicine nutraceuticals hands-on therapies but modern naturopathic medicine as it's taught in the school and as is taught and is practiced by I would say uh, the majority of modern naturopathic physicians is really a more uh, recognizing the value of the, the, the spectrum of medicine. Uh, and depending on the state in which one is licensed in, uh, for example, in Oregon, I, if you came to see me as a patient, it would basically look like a primary care physician uh, specializing in natural therapies, but also able and willing and trained to use uh, hormone therapies, pharmaceutical prescriptions for, you know, anxiety, depression, osteoarthritis, asthma, high blood pressure, you, you name it, basically everything. Um, but we use those pharmaceuticals uh, in a different context than your average conventional medical doctor. In a different context would just be like we might have the opportunity to talk about in the next little while is how to use, you know, natural therapies along with a, a prescription antidepressant or how to maybe uh, trans uh, sort of reduce the, the dosing of the prescription antidepressant and transition onto something else or, 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 or how to reduce a side effect of a pharmaceutical that some, that's helping them, but yet, you know, they're not tolerating the sleepiness or something. And so then uh, we can we can fill in that gap as well. So so modern naturopathic medicine very much includes um, the judicious and well thought out, uh, hopefully safe and effective use of conventional medicines along with natural medicine. Oh, great. I did not know that. I didn't know that, that it was... Um, uh, that it incorporated both dis disciplines of, of medicine. So that's, I yeah. love well, you know, it, we're going through, I mean, this has been a long transition uh, and it's sort of like politics. There's, there's the right and then there's the left and then there's the middle and the blend. And, and so philosophically uh, we don't all agree uh, amongst our, in our profession uh, but the training of naturopathic physicians in the schools and the accredited colleges very much includes training 
in how to administer the whole spectrum of medicines. Dr. Toria, a lot of our members at the CUSP are struggling with mood changes. So anxiety, depression, irritability, mood swings. Have you noticed a similar trend at your clinic? Well, those are very common perimenopause and menopause symptoms. Um, I mean, they those things that you listed are from the get-go more common in women than in men. Um, and then in perimenopause, there is an increased uh, vulnerability, you might say. And there's uh, it's a time, that transition time, when the hormones, chemistry is changing, that those hormone changes interface with our brain chemistry. And so the serotonin, the norepinephrine, the dopamine, things that help the GABA, things that are stabilizing our moods or responsible for our, our moods in large part are now a little wonky uh, because the hormones are a little wonky. That makes us more vulnerable to the anxiety and the depression. So perimenopausal women have a higher incidence of first timers uh, of those two problems and a higher incidence of recurrence and a higher incidence of worsening if you're already going into perimenopause with depression and or anxiety. And then once one is postmenopausal, uh, actually, you know, things have settled down. We've adapted, the brain chemistry has adapted to these hormonal changes. And there are surveys that show that postmenopausal women, it's, it's the happiest time in their life, actually. I have to agree. Yeah. <laughs> being, being five years in, I have to agree. Yeah, yeah I, I no longer cry at McDonald's commercials. I now cry for a different reason. <laughs> the, the nutritional impact of the, or the lack of nutrition makes me cry about McDonald's commercials instead of just like the soppy. <laughs> so, so then, Dr. Tori, it's, it's not the lack of estrogen that's causing these, these mood changes because once the estrogen is pretty much gone, we're happy again. Is it it's the fluctuation? Is that what? The yeah, it's the instability. It's that in perimenopause, there is sometimes peaks and valleys of like there might be times when estrogen is higher than it was in the normal menstrual cycle. Uh, so there's that erraticness up and down, uh, unpredictability of the of the hormonal changes, and that's not the only one that's changing. Uh, progesterone is changing, testosterone is changing, and they all influence this big package we call our brain chemistry but yeah and that and it's and then just how we you know how we each have a different ability to kind of adapt to surprises and adapt to unpredictability and adapt to a down day you know and some of us don't adapt as well and that takes some time to learn as well and that takes that's a strong area for naturopathic medicine is to help these adaptation mechanisms uh, with herbs and nutrients as well. Well, not, not maybe directly, there are directly anti-anxiety herbs and nutrients, there are directly anti-depressant herbs and nutrients, but then are the, there are these herbs and nutrients and lifestyle habits that can support uh, these uh, sort of like more of a tonic, building our resilience, putting a little bit more money back in the bank so that you have better reserves. That's very interesting. Um, well, first of all, I love what you talk about in terms of resiliency, right? Like we as women, especially, maybe that is why we're so resilient. Because if you think about it, we go through life and we hit puberty and you know we get there and it's our hormones go all out of whack and then we get into our reproductive years and if we um, choose or can get pregnant, choose to or can get pregnant, then you know our hormones go all out of whack during that time and then by the time we hit perimenopause, I think our bodies and our minds are like enough already, <laughs> but we're forced back into that resiliency mode. I think it's very um, very interesting. Women, we're so resilient. I love it. You just started to talk about this, but do you mind going a little bit deeper into um, how you approach at your clinic and the protocols that you've helped design at the CUSP and how they relate uh, for treatment for women around lifestyle changes, supplements, and prescriptions? You were starting to go into that, but it, would you mind going a bit deeper in? In, in, the, in, a, in an intake, you know, 
obviously we want to learn as much about the person as we can in the time that's allotted, whether that's in my office or with the practitioner at the, at the cusp, there's, there's key inform There's the, there's the key concern or concerns that the patient comes with. Like I'm really struggling with my sleep or I'm really struggling with my anxiety. And then we have to fill all that out to understand what else is going on. Plus try to best understand what are some other things influencing that and, and causing that. Um, because even though someone is 51 and their periods are changing and they're having hot flashes and they're struggling with anxiety, you know, they're, we, we are complex beings. What if the thyroid is off? You know, what if uh, the blood sugar is off? Some of these things also affect mood stability and, and adaptability. So, so we have to fill in all that information. And then uh, in terms of, okay, plans of action for, uh, you know, a full integrative approach would include some, some dietary and exercise and lifestyle recommendations. You know, if, if you're, if one is anxious and, and even starting to have some heart palpitations and drinking, you know, eight cups of coffee today, well, that a day, that's going to be something that, hmm, I wonder if, you know, that caffeine is just too much for that person at this time. It's, it might not be helping, might not be the cause, but it might not be helping. Uh, so we look for, you know, kind of yellow and red flags in the diet, but then just, you know, there are habits in food and in uh, quality of food and kinds of foods and regularity of food that affect mood uh, and you know keeping blood sugar stable stable is just one of those things. Um, but people are on a lot of extreme diets these days, and not everybody uh, is. That's not the best diet for all things considered for everybody. It might be you might be losing some weight, but wow, that ketogenic diet might really be uh, uh, contributing to poor sleep and, and, and then maybe anxiety. Generally, we're looking at how can we improve someone's diet with whole foods and with some maybe specific therapeutic foods. There are foods sometimes that we think of that, that they are in fact medicine. So we want to use those as medicine. And of course, regular exercise is one of the actually best uh, known antidepressants there is. Uh, and then, uh, and that, and research can support that. And, uh, and then we have the influence and the research now on what they call forest bathing. I call it just walking in the woods, but, uh, <laughs> bathing sounds much more exotic, doesn't it? But, uh, yeah, but it, you know, it, and we can measure mood effects of those tree pheromones and, and the inf influence they have on mood again, and the influence they have on, uh, immune system. So that's a, a that becomes a, a therapeutic tool. Um, it's not just, oh, you know, exercise is good for you and it reduces your cholesterol and your blood pressure and heart, risk of heart disease. It's, it's a medicine for, for mood, actually. Uh, and then we get into, you know, very specific herbs uh, and nutrients. Uh, you want me to talk about those now or you want to wait for that? Yeah, I have a question, though, before you tackle into, you said therapeutic foods. Can you give a couple of examples of therapeutic foods that you that you like, uh, that are some of your, in your go-to ba doctor's bag there? Um, well, I would say soy foods are at the top of the list for perimenopausal and menopausal women. And, and there is uh, research uh, on soy isoflavones as a, for depression. Uh, and uh, a particular dose of soy isoflavones every day. And now I'm, to be honest with you, I'm trying to remember, is it 90 milligrams or is it 50 <laughs> milligrams of soy isoflavones uh, a day in, uh, for depression? And so that's fairly, let's say it's 50. That's pretty easy to come by. Uh, you know, a cup of soy milk is about 30. And then you have a, a serving of tofu. That's another maybe 25, 30. So there you have it. How many edamames would I have to eat for that? Yeah. Edamame. edamame. You can look up how many isoflavones are in edamame. That's a tasty one. That yeah, is. I love chicken peanuts. Uh, chickpeas and garbanzo beans are my favorite uh, isoflavin soy. Yes, but they're not as high as soy bean isoflavones. Yeah. So you could put in some roasted soy nuts. Uh, as uh, That's a tasty one, too. You can put tamari on it. And such. So that's an example of a therapeutic food for menopausal women. 
and even with a specific indication for depression. Thank you. That's great. So herbs. Oh, before we go, because there's so much here that I want to talk about. So, um, you, so you mentioned forest bathing, which I'm a big fan of. Um, I also read that gardening, um, there are microbes in the soil that when they get into our system can help with, is this real? <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm not familiar with precisely the effect of gardening and microbe exposure and depression, but I could imagine it because there is, I could imagine that that research is happening and that, and that there's truth to that because we know that there, there is active uh, research going on about the effect of certain uh, probiotics in the effect on mood. Now we know we don't, we're not to the point yet where we can say this precise species and this precise strain and this precise dose can be used as an antidepressant. We'll probably get there, but we can say that one's microbiome, one's gut in particular status of, of uh, ecology, you might say, affects mood. And it's and it happens to do with these with microbes and the ecology of the gut. It, that's even different than whether or not you have a chronically chronic inflammatory gut disorder or something else that's kind of more even more significant and has more potentially bad health consequences. But just even if you have what seems like normal regular digestion and you have chronic depression, a naturopathic physician might look at testing your stool for the microbes to see if you have an, a, what's called a dysbiosis, an imbalance in good bacteria, back, bad bacteria that could be affecting your mood, even though it's not overtly affecting your digestion. So you, we are seeing now probiotic combination formulations from certain companies for mood, but I would say uh, I think that has value, but like I said, we don't yet really know what is the exact blend and dose and species that has that therapeutic effect. We're getting closer, though. Gotcha. So you started to talk about herbs, and then we yes. we 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 were like, wait, let's focus back on food and exercise. So okay. now. Uh, good, good dive into herbs and how they okay. relate. Well, let's maybe break it up, like at least break it up into sort of depression and anxiety. So with depression, the strongest research is an area of St. John's work, and especially for mild to moderate depression. And there is research that demonstrates that St. John's work at a particular dosing schedule is comparable to an antidepressant for the majority of people who have mild to moderate depression. So uh, uh, the standard kind of standard of care dosing right now is 300 milligrams of St. John's wort three times a day, but it's that 300 milligrams is what is standardized to something called 0.3% hyperacin. That's kind of like the classic prescription, you might say, using just St. John's wort. Um, but St. John's wort, tryptophans have uh, affect serotonin, and so they are antidepressants, whether that's L-tryptophan, which is an amino acid, or 5-hydroxytryptophan. And both St. John's wort and the tryptophans particularly target serotonin. And not all depression is response to medication or herbs that are, are trying to affect serotonin. Uh, some people's depression is more needs things that target norepinephrine and or dopamine. So that's why you see these different antidepressants. This one affects more this neurotransmitter, this one that, this one affects all three. Um, like I think Effexor is one that affects all three, which is partly why it makes effects or have potentially some more side effects and more difficult to, to get off of. Um, but something like um, L, another amino acid, L-tyrosine, uh, affects more dopamine. And so we might say want to target both dopamine and serotonin also. And so 
And this is a very mechanistic kind of way of using herbs, and that's not the only way we use them, but uh, St. John's wort and L-tyrosine would be a common combination. If someone had been on, let's say, Effexor, and we were transitioning them off, that might be an example of how to use the herbs and the nutrients to accomplish, kind of target those same mechanisms of action. Uh, there's some B6, vitamin B6, vitamin B12, folic acid. Those are also have some important impact on mood. In fact, elderly women, uh, you know, a common cause of depression is a B12 deficiency. Um, so we, we can measure that. Uh, we can test B12 levels. We can test folic acid levels. Um, and, and then I was, I was saying earlier, how do we help someone just be more resilient, not just target maybe that chemistry? But then we might use this concept of, of, uh, of adaptation and resilience. And we often talk about the adrenal glands, which are a, a, another sort of virtual hormone factory, not just the ovaries. So we use herbs that are considered adaptogens or adrenal tonics. Uh, a lot of people are familiar with ginseng. That's a little bit more, has more indications in men, but Shadavari is an Ayurvedic herbs. It's a very important adrenal adaptogen for women. Ashwagandha is another one. Holy basil. Uh, maca, Peruvian plant, is a very well indicated adaptogen for perimenopausal and menopausal women because there are is also research to show it helps with hot flashes and mood and libido even but can also just be used as a general tonic and so we might use these along with uh, what we're doing for depression Excellent. and then if you want me to move on to maybe anxiety there's some strong research in this area in natural medicine as well, probably the strongest area of research is a, is a lavender extract that you can take orally. It's a distillation of lavender flowers, and it was studied in 80 milligrams and 160 milligram doses in Germany. And again, studies have shown comparable to lorazepam, comparable to uh, uh, Prozac when it's prescribed for depression and anxiety. Uh, and the worst thing you'll, you'll experience from a lavender oil capsule that you take is, is maybe a lavender burp. Uh, and the original research on lavender was this was aromatherapy. Uh, so maybe you're getting a double whammy there. Uh, the aromatherapy and the... And the <laughs> lavender burp. Yeah. And then we have kava is a famous anxiety herb um, that has some research as well. And then historically like the class, sort of the historical traditional herbs, that's sort of like pre-herbal pre science, you might say, pre-botanical medicine research, uh, uh, hops and chamomile that pretty much most people are familiar with, just that maybe kind of mildly calming effect of chamomile. Mm -hmm. So hops, chamomile, something called skullcap, passionflower, these are other herbs we might have in the mix. And then back to amino acids, L-theanine is something we often use to have this kind of mellow, that's an amino acid that we might use as having for a mellowing, you know, calming effect. And some of these things are used, most of these things I mentioned are used every day, but then there are also strategies for, oh, when you have, when you're starting to feel that panic, then we have to have something that's acting quick too just like conventional medicine does. They have this, the, same, the medicine that you take every day, but then they have the rescue medicine that you need in the moment for panic, let alone sort of techniques of, of, of daily techniques of meditation and mindfulness, and then some rescue techniques. Uh, people do the, the tapping solution is a good one to look up online that can be self-administered that just kind of regulates that, nervous system and calm, can calm things down <clears throat> fairly quickly, actually. It's fantastic. You know what? I'm, so Dr. Tori has this great blog um, that we'll, I'm going to plug here at the end of this show, but um, you just wrote uh, an article about St. John's wort and some recent um, studies that have been happening on that and that it's also seeming to be effective in helping uh, with uh, hot flashes and night sweats. And 
one of the things I love about going to your blog is that like everything that you're writing about is you're writing about the studies that have been done on them and, and there's their citations and, and you can, this isn't just like, Oh, I heard that this is really good. Dr. Troy goes deep into the science <laughs> and she's looking at like the double blind trials and everything. And, and so you, I feel so much more confident yes. about trying something that is not in a prescription bottle um, because I know that this is actually tried and true stuff. Yeah. Well, good. Thank you for noticing that. Hopefully it's legible, but <laughs> it is, it is easy to easy. You know, it's important to have things to be easy enough to read and understand and then be able to, to use. I, I do want to say to our listeners though, Dr. Tori is tossing out some prescription strengths. And I think it's important for us all to know that, you know, see when you're going through menopause and if you're having some extreme symptoms, you really need to seek care and then get those proper dosages, um, you know, how many milligrams you should take and what those combinations. I'm sure you can hear as you listen to Dr. Tori, you can hear what she's saying in terms of there's a lot that goes into this and each woman is very different. No woman's depression or anxiety is going to be the same, which means that uh, the treatment for that woman is also going to be very different. So just want to make sure that we, uh, everybody understands that this is not direct medical advice. Um, this is just uh, guidelines and information and knowledge that we're passing on. So we just wanted to. Yes, very is. good, very good point. Okay. And by the way, the practitioners at the cusp, uh, you know, this is one thing that they do is evaluate that that individual situation and it's the individual plan. It's not just a cookie cutter uh, approach. And some women, even even if they get a hormone prescription. Uh, still might need you know this herb or this nutrient or this additional pharmaceutical well and that's amazing because that takes us right into our next question which is you know when you think about perimenopause and menopause care we don't just have to stick to one lane and i think that you know a lot of women may think that they if they take the naturopathic route that route that's the only route they can take or if they take the hormone therapy route that's the only route that they can take you know we don't have to stick to those lanes or that route that eventually they can merge so do you, do you mind talking a little bit about that and how um it really is this this i don't want to call it a cocktail but it's it's this mix like all of these all of these things can come together in our care yeah, it's it's a it's a it's a it's a recipe. So really, the value of, of of a physician who has you know a broad range of tools is to really look at you know what and and know what all the options are. You know, you're typical, and and I and I have nothing but respect for conventional medical doctors, but the typical family physician or internist or gynecologist, the person that's most likely going to be seeing and managing, you know, a menopause uh, patient, you know, is it's going, the, the typical prescription is going to be either an antidepressant and or an anti-anxiety medicine and or a hormone prescription. That's it. And so the practitioners at the cusp are going to be able to evaluate really and determine, you know, what's the level of, what's the scope of the symptoms? What are the severity of the symptoms? And uh, most important, what is the patient comfortable with? And what, you know, if you educate and inform the patient and they're, they're, they're now, you know, not only a part of the decision-making they are the final decision maker as to what they want to do. And some, some women of the cusp are going to say, hey, I really want hormones. And, and, and so there'll be more conversation about that and the benefits and the risks. And other people are going to, other women are going to say, you know, I, I really don't want hormones. I really want to start with a non-hormonal approach or I want something or I want a combination. And so that team approach between the practitioner and the patient is, is really, really important. I think what you're honing in on is the fact that each, we're all different. Our menopause journeys are going to be different. And therefore, the treatments 
that we get are going to be different. And, and I love how you say it's that partnership between the provider and the patient, uh, the member, and how they're really approaching their menopause journey and how they're going to care for that. And it is a partnership, right? And I think a lot of times as women, we'll go into our internist or our primary care physician and sometimes our gynecologist who will just say, nope, this is the way you're going to go. This is the lane you're going to go down. Um, You're going to stick to that lane. And um, that's what all the rest of my patients do and they're fine. It's not necessarily because comes from just the training and the experience of that of that particular physician. And this is, you know, kind of a really vulnerable point in women's health care, the structure of women's health care is there is no menopause doctor. That's I right. think there ought to be. There ought to be the midlife menopause uh, specialist, just like there's the rheumatologist, there's the gastroenterologist. I there are many physicians and organizations that have advocated for this for a long time. The closest, you know, we've gotten to is maybe some certification, you know, that you've taken some special coursework or something. But uh, that's why, you know, you know, another advantage of seeing a cusp practitioner or, or someone like myself is, you know, this is, you know, an area of expertise. This is an area of focus. This is, there are inherently there, there's more, training about menopause, there's more understanding, there's more empathy, there's more uh, intellect uh, and about it, and there's therefore more choices and the ability to help what I call more women more of the time uh, if you have a practitioner uh, who's really trained in, in menopause. Yeah, absolutely. And that's like you highlight what we're doing at the cusp is we've gathered all of these uh, physicians and specialists that really understand and are passionate about treating women going through menopause. And I wish that that was true across the country and everywhere so that this type of care is available to women everywhere. And that's our goal at the cusp is to make this available to women everywhere. Um, But across the United States, obviously I know we have listeners in other countries, but um, someday we'll be worldwide. But right now, (laughs) <laughs> we're California, New York, Texas, Florida, Arizona, and Illinois, um, and, and expanding every day. Yeah. So a lot of talk about anxiety, mood swings, depression. I think one of the things that really strikes us is with our loved ones. There's a lack of understanding with our loved ones. Like when I fly off the handle because my husband didn't load the dishwasher properly or my daughter didn't wipe the sink down properly, or I cry at a McDonald's commercial. Like, how can we explain to our loved ones so that they really understand what's going on with us when we're going through this period of time? Yeah, that's, that's very common experience. I think just that general irritability, you know, is much more quick, much more quicker to happen. And I, how I kind of frame it is, we used to be able to handle 20 feet of stress before we got pissed off. And now we can only handle five feet of stress before we get pissed off. So, and, and, and again, those hormonal changes uh, are in large part responsible for that uh, because of that change in brain chemistry. But honestly, I think it's also, we're talking about women by usually you know, are in their 40s and early 50s when this uh, starts to happen. And so let's just say on average, that's about halfway through life, you know, and there's also, I think, just this sort of psychological, social, you know, I put up with this for kind of enough in my life. And I'm, and I'm, you know, we have some more stature, some more uh, or more self-confidence or more like, just like, come on, I'm tired. I'm tired. I'm tired. Like, uh, of, of just the same old, same old, same old. So I think there's that level of tolerance changes as well uh, as it should, I would say. Um, so we, our level of tolerance has dropped, uh, to now five feet, let's say before we get pissed off. So how can we, bump increase our well how can we learn to manage that number one yes we need some self-management tools uh but also how can we 
restore our uh, our level of tolerance. And that's where um, uh, some of these natural therapies come in and where hormones can come in too. Estrogen helps raise the level of tolerance for a lot of women. These herbal adaptogens I was talking about um, and, and, and fresh air and exercise, you know, really does, uh, and attending to oneself and one's needs and one's goals and, you know, starting to kind of put it, put oneself a little bit more or not a lot more, you know, in the front of the line rather than the back of the line. That that's one thing I think women get tired of as well. Um, so that general irritability uh, is common. Um, and in addition to what I've just said, you know, there again, there, you know, you're not really depressed. You're not really anxious. You're just, you're irritable. You're agitated. You're uh, more easily. And so, there are some of these same herbs that have and nutrients that can kind of have this chill, you know, like L-theanine, an amino acid I mentioned. Um, and a lot of people are using CBD uh, for this kind of thing as well. And other people are using CBD and THC. And of course there's, you know, some potential problems there. We don't want to use alcohol to manage. <laughs> uh, darn it. Uh, at least because it's just too easy to drift into more and more and more. Um, so there are some teas, you know, again, this just kind of like the, the mildest of mellowing, but makes a difference is that idea of, of chamomile tea, for example. But this is the this is this is a very common experience in in that perimenopausal transition time in particular. Is that just that that more that irritability and a little maybe some road rage, impatience. That word comes up a lot. Just impatient, um, overreacting. Um, those are common experiences, and it's all about that changing hormones and brain chemistry. Uh, in addition to what we could say, maybe socially or metaphysically. Yeah, you still you just laid my life before me there. <laughs> I feel like I spent part of every day apologizing to my children. I'm sorry, I yelled so much. Well, and there's something that's been heightened by uh, the pandemic, I think, because yeah. uh, for you know all the reasons that everybody talks about, but it's definitely heightened. Uh, by the pandemic, that which is a perfect example of the effect of ongoing significant stress and how that it just chips away, chips away, and our tolerance level goes down, down, down to the to the five feet uh, example that I was giving. And how can we how can we become more resilient again? And not just not just rope ourselves, not just better control you know it's not just about better control it's a it's because that you know that doesn't feel good either uh, then you're just like stuffing you're stuffing yeah, yeah. so how can we truly from the inside out kind of build kind of have that tonifying effect and build up the resilience yeah, and if one more person or if my husband or one of my kids says mom you just need to relax it's like, that is a trigger word, right? <laughs> Never helped anyone relax in the history of and the word relax. Just <laughs> relax. It's like, are you kidding me? Like, okay, my tolerance level like hits, goes subterranean at that point, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. I tell you, I, you know, if there were an herb that could make me resilient, I would, I'd jump on that train right away. Well, I, there are herbs that do that. That the, the the ashwagandha, the shatavari, the maca, those are exact the ginseng, those are exactly that is the long standing use of those herbs in different parts of the world. India has its shatavari and ashwagandha and Asia has its ginsengs and South America has its has its maca and uh, Eastern European has it's rhodiola uh and you know in america we have kind of hopefully taken from all these traditions and just not relied on our tonic or being gin and tonic that's really not the one we're <laughs> going to talk about uh but, but you all these 
herbs are in uh, prolific use and they're some, some of the top sellers in the natural products industry. I would say, Suzanne, I think you are a very resilient woman. I think that <laughs> I think that women in general, I think that's one of our finer qualities as a as a sex. We are resilient. We are totally we have resiliency built in. And it's just at times our supplies get low mm-hmm. and we need to figure out how to to build that up. But I find you to be a very resilient woman. For goodness sakes, you moved across the country with two children in an RV, and did, and and you lived to tell the story with only <laughs> one scar on your head, and and more importantly, your children lived to tell the story. I mean, that's resiliency in my book. Yeah, yeah. I don't know you, Suzanne, but I'll I can uh, I can imagine that to be the case. You know, as you're talking though, Valerie, I'm thinking like. Do we, should we have to be this resilient? Well, it's a great point. (laughs) It's sort of the world looks to us to be that, right? Because we're the ones that are bringing sanity. Even though it's times we feel kind of more people pull their weight. (laughs) Exactly. I feel like there's resilience with a capital R, like the big stuff. I feel like I've got that, you know? It's the little picky, every day, you know, clothes hanging out of the hamper instead of all the way in the hamper that send you to the edge. You know, it's like, that's the stuff that I want to like have more resilience to let it roll off my back. Yeah. That's well, fair. Maybe, maybe you should share your techniques in a, in a, in a podcast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think uh, what was the one that I'm going to start taking the Ash- Ashwagandha, and Ashwagandha, Ashwagandha, uh, maca for sure. Ooh, all good, all good stuff. That's great. Well, I think we're coming up on our hour. Um, and it's been a wonderful hour. Boy, have I learned a lot, Suzanne. Oh, so much. This is, this is great. Uh, Thank you so much for, for sharing even this little tidbit of all that, you know, Dr. Tori. Yeah. Happy to do it. And if we have, if you have other topics for, you want my participation in, uh, I'd be happy to contribute. We would love that. Um, as Suzanne mentioned your blog. Uh, do you want? Do you mind giving us your website? I, I love think, it. I think it's drtoryhudson.com. <laughs> it is. I believe it is drtoryhudson.com. So D R T O R I H U D S O N.com. I encourage all of our listeners to go and check it out. As Suzanne said, it's not just saying, "Hey, take St. John's Wort." It's citations of a lot of the research that goes into why uh, she, Dr. Tori, I really appreciate all the work that you do um, in passing on your knowledge uh, to women everywhere. And also all that you do for the CUSP practitioners. As Again, Dr. Tori is on the CUSP Medical Advisory Board. She is a co-author of a lot of our protocols. Our protocols are always, she's involved, they meet all the time. This is just not like one and done with Dr. Tori and our medical advisory board. They're deep with our providers. Uh, They go deep. They're trying to develop these protocols so that women have a standard of care while they go through their menopause journey. And I, for one, am very grateful for your participation in our medical advisory board and very grateful for your blog and the work that you do. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. Thank you for your work as well. Our pleasure. All right. Uh, Well, before we sign off, uh, uh, Valerie, you wanted to uh, include just a little, a little mention. Yes, I, I did. People might be going through a hard time dealing with their depression during perimenopause, and I think it's important to share. Yeah, I, I think it's also, you know, this this month is Suicide Prevention Month, and we understand that you know, today we're talking about depression and anxiety and mood swings and how to manage that. But sometimes depression can be overwhelming and sometimes you feel hopeless and lost. Um, if you do find your play, yourself in that place or someone you love in that place, um, we would be remiss if we did not acknowledge the great work that happens at the suicide prevent, the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline. Um, If you find yourself in a dark place or you know someone that's in a dark place, this is a really good line to call. I had to call on one point at one point in my life for someone that I love 
And it was so helpful in them giving me language in terms with which to approach this person who was in a dark place. So um, if you're in that dark place or know someone in that dark place, please call 800-273-8255. Help is available 24-7 in multiple languages. I encourage you to seek out that resource if you if you get to that point. It's a tough subject, and these can be pretty dark times for a lot of people. Uh, so there's resources out there to help. For sure. And then, and then to to end on a positive thought is that this is often temporary. When when we're going through the perimenopause depression, the hormonally induced depression, there's light at the end of the tunnel. And um, it does get better, as Dr. Tori mentioned at the beginning of our episode. Um, once our hormones level out, uh, we kind of return back to our old selves again. So uh, this is temporary. It will pass. And uh, you're not alone. You have people who are feeling the same thing and um, can talk to, with you about it. Yeah. And we hope this podcast is a nice place for you to come and feel that you're not alone and know that you're not alone um, because we want to be here for you. And again, if you have any subjects you want us to tackle, please email us either at marketing at the or support at the uh, Give us some ideas for future topics on some of our episodes. Give us some ideas for guests that you like us to interview, or if you would like to be interviewed. We'd love to hear from you as well. So we're so grateful that you spent this hour with us. And we're very grateful for the hour that Dr. Tori Hudson spent with us. We're so lucky to have these resources, Suzanne. Oh, I know. I, I feel like I always know where to turn when I have any question that's related to my health at, uh, anymore. It's, it's great. Yeah. Great. Well, thank you again. All right. Bye-bye. Thank you all. Bye.